Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Tuesday edition of PFT Live. I'd like to say Chris Sims is tardy. I would have a lot of fun with that as Chris Sims makes his way to the studio in Stamford, Connecticut today. But that is not the case. Our good friend Christopher got boosted yesterday. And as I violate his HIPAA rights, let me just continue by saying he's feeling under the weather today. So you have to deal with me and only me. For the next two hours. Don't touch that dial. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I took a couple shots of tequila on the way up just to loosen things up a little bit. Was that wrong? Was that inappropriate? I'm kidding, please. Don't fire me yet. Just wait until after the show. Then pass judgment, NBC. It's fine. We used to do this all the time. Now, I don't have stats to kick around anymore. He used to help me break up the monotony. An insult or two thrown his way would give me a break from time to time. But we'll be fine. This is fine. That will be fine. We've put out the bat signal to some of our friends. Miles Simmons, who lives in California, and therefore for him it is 4.01 a.m. local time. You never know when he's going to be up, so we rolled the dice. We shot our shot. It always sounds weird when you say shot your shot. I'm going to shoot my shot sounds normal. Shot my shot, not the same. Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston, he has no excuse. He's on Eastern Time Cornfield's time, as Paul Allen calls it, that's an hour behind me, an hour behind the only time that matters, East Coast time. And as I prepare to go to L.A. for a week, I realize how true that is because I'm constantly readjusting what time I think it's going to be in L.A. and what time it really will be where the only time matters in the East Coast. But Paul Allen, possibly. I texted him right before the show started. I didn't want to wake him up. I didn't want to wake him up. Because those of us in the media tend to sleep with our phones on, and I tend to not appreciate getting non-important text messages while I'm asleep. And I don't know about you, but my solution to that is once it happens, once anyone texts me with something not important, other than like 
close family member that I need to potentially be available to respond to questions or assist or whatever may happen. People get sick in the middle of the night. You know, there are certain family members who get the exemption. I'm not going to tell you where I draw the line. I don't want them to know where I draw the line. But anybody else, if you text me between 11 o'clock at night, obviously, and 6 o'clock in the morning, you get put on the hide alerts, the little hide alerts button. I assume that the various makes and models of phones have something similar where it's muted. It never rings. It never dings. I don't care about the ring. It's the ding that gets me because all it takes is that one ding and it wakes you up in the middle of the night and then you can't get back to sleep. By the way, there was a great little song on SNL this week about all the different things that wake you up. Catchy tune. Expect to hear it soon on the radio somewhere. All right, let's get to it. We got plenty to do and we'll see. We'll see if somebody pops in. Maybe somebody pops in. Maybe somebody doesn't pop in. But the possibilities are Miles Simmons, Tom Curran, Paul Allen, and who knows? Who knows? Maybe Sims, once he feels better, maybe he's going to take a fistful of ibuprofen and he'll be showing up at some point between 7 and 9. I'm prepared for anything, as you should be. And that's a good feeling because you've got nine fan bases in the NFL that need to be prepared for anything. And I go back to something that I've been saying the past few weeks. You will hear plenty of people in the media, and I'm not being critical. I'm just being realistic. You will hear plenty of people in the media who will talk about how great the various hires are. Every coach, every GM, oh, what a great hire. Oh, what a great hire. Oh, what a great hire. Now, part of it is aimed at cozying up to said great hire. For access purposes, that's the game. Lather, rinse, repeat. That's how it works. The other reality is no matter how great these folks are, they're going to get all thrown into the same blender. 272 regular season games. Teams will thrive. Teams will fail. And as I said at one point last week, you could have 32 great coaches, 32 great general managers, and you're still going to have five, six, seven. Fired every year. Eight this year. Nine when you throw in the decision by Sean Payton to walk away. And really, when you look at it, Sean Payton, obviously, that doesn't count. He wasn't going to get fired. John Gruden probably wouldn't have gotten fired. The Raiders wouldn't have been looking for a new coach. So, seven on merit, or lack thereof, ended up getting fired this year. That's the way it works. Great coach. The the, the coaches who fired maybe we're fired may be great some of them may get other opportunities but it's just the way the nfl works zero sum game i love it closed environment for every winner there is a loser unless there is a tie and there are the jobs that have been filled we await the dolphins the jaguars the saints the texans and the vikings and i'm glad to see that graphic because you know what without it i can't keep track I keep thinking there are four. There are five. I forget about the Saints. There are five. Or maybe I'm forgetting about the Texans because I would like to, as many Texans fans uh, would as well. Let's get to some of the the sound bites coming out of Monday. Now, let me just say this because I got plenty of time to fill. (laughs) And it's important. Beyond the fact that it's important, talk a little more slowly there, slugger. Got to get at least one slugger in. With uh, with Sims not here, that's one of his favorite informal names. Anyway, Slugger, 
PR failures abound when it comes to this process of introducing new coaches. It's, just, it's not difficult. For starters, unless you really don't want... There it is. There's the coaching arrival. With the People's Court song. These are real people, real cases. I can't remember what Doug Llewellyn used to say. The only thing I can remember is... Don't take matters into your own hands. You take them to court. But, okay, let, let me just start with, with Brian Dable. We're going to hear from him in a second. Why would you do his introductory press conference the day after the conference championship games? I understand that in the individual cities, they really don't care, and they'd probably rather not pay attention to the teams that make it to the Super Bowl. But nationally, we're kind of paying attention to other things. Between the Bengals making it to the Super Bowl, the Rams making it to the Super Bowl, Tom Brady retiring or not retiring, maybe he is, maybe he won't, we'll talk about that later, you're not going to register much, not what you would ordinarily register with your introductory press conference. Now, maybe for some of these teams, that's what they're trying to do, but I don't know why you would pick, of all days this week, Monday. Do it today. Do it tomorrow as the afterglow of the conference championship games begins to subside. How hard is that? That's not hard. If I can figure it out, let me tell you, it ain't hard. The other thing, too, is we saw Brian Dayball there, and you're going to hear from him in a minute. Mike Golick and I were talking about this last night. I've talked about it probably every year, dating back to the David Byrne moment from Ben McAdoo five years ago when he showed up. Actually, it's more like six now, maybe seven. Time flies when you're not having fun. There's Ben McAdoo, and there's Brian Dayball wearing Ben McAdoo's suit. Why do we have business suits for these coaches? Why? What what is the point? What's the thought process? And please don't tell me it's, that's just the way we always do it. It was like that when I got here. Come on, where is any common sense, logic, creativity, reality for the PR people, the owners, whoever it is? I don't know who's making this call. I'd love to be privy to the conversation. And maybe the PR people are saying to the owners, hey, you know, we... We can't do this anymore. This is outdated. This looks goofy. We're going to make our coach uncomfortable. If the Adam Gase introductory press conference with the Jets didn't prove that, nothing will. Why do we put the coaches in clothes that we will never, ever see them in again? Unless they choose to go business suit for a press conference held in connection with the Super Bowl like Bill Belichick will tend to do. I don't know if he does it for the pre-Super Bowl press conference or – After winning, he's won so many, I can't remember the difference between the two, but you rarely are going to see a coach in a suit. Rarely. Why not let him be comfortable? Here's Brian Dable. Being as comfortable as he possibly can be, introduced to reporters yesterday on the important question, especially when it's an offensive coach, as to whether or not he will be calling the plays for the New York Giants offense. In terms of the play calling, I think that's a work in progress too, Dan. We'll see who the offensive coordinator is, uh, who the rest of the staff is, and then we'll talk about that um, as we get going through OTAs and mini camps. Uh, but uh, it'll be important. That, that position, that offensive coordinator position, will be a, an important position for us. Now, that may be a completely honest and truthful answer. It also may be the beginning of a mystery that the Giants want to build. There have been coaches in the past that have done that where – You really don't know who's going to call plays. You really don't know how it's going to play out. And you find out when the games actually 
begin in September. And the strategy that infuses everything that occurs. Also, more from Brian Dayball on the question that we think, well, we can tell was resolved last week when we heard both from Joe Shane, the new GM, and also from the team owner, John Mara. Daniel Jones, quarterback at least for 2022. Here's Brian Dayball chiming in on the identity of the quarterback for the Giants. Look, we're not going to make any predictions, and I, I wouldn't do that to Daniel or really any player. I don't think that's fair to compare him to another guy that I was working with. Um, you know, he's, he's himself. We're going to find out what he does well. We're going to try to implement a system that suits him. And then it's our job to bring pieces in that help him to be the best version of himself and the best quarterback for us. Uh, he's got the right mindset. Uh, he's got good size. There's, there's a lot of things to like about Daniel. Um, and we'll just take it one day at a time. It takes a lot to raise a quarterback, if you will. Um, you know, and he's been, he's been around the block here these last three years with some different pieces. We're going to try to give him some stability and, and just take it from there. Slightly more diplomatic than John Mara saying last week we've done everything to screw this guy up that we possibly can. But we got three years of Daniel Jones. And last year, one of the things Sims and I was talking about is the 2021 season approach. The Giants were expecting Daniel Jones to have a Josh Allen type of a leap. He's got a lot of the same skill sets. He can move deceptively. We see it from time to time. He can run. He can throw. Not like Josh Allen. Nobody really can throw like Josh Allen, but there are attributes there that are positive. You don't get to see him much because he's constantly under duress because the offensive line blows. So they have to unblow the offensive line and then see what Daniel Jones can become. And I think one of their concerns, this is very realistic, when you make the investment top 10 pick in a quarterback, if you flush that quarterback prematurely and he goes somewhere else and he becomes great, you look like an idiot. It's the Ryan Tannehill effect. You don't want to do that. You want to avoid that if you can. So you want to give the guy a chance. The most fascinating offseason decision moving forward for the New York Giants will be whether or not they pick up the fifth-year option on Daniel Jones. Sims and I have grappled a little bit about that. I think that they're writing some pretty big checks pro Daniel Jones with these press conferences and sound bites. I don't know how you don't pick up the fifth-year option for Daniel Jones after everything that they've been saying. We're building this guy up. We're giving him every chance we can. You know, let's not get too crazy here. We're giving him one year to prove himself. Now, there's a way to explain it, and this gets back to the overall PR abilities of an organization. It's not just the PR person. Sometimes the PR person gives incredibly good advice that is ignored. But... They need to be ready to explain when May 3rd rolls around if they don't pick up the option. Why? They said all those great things about Daniel Jones in January, but then come May 3rd, they decided, we're going to go just 2022. We'll worry about 2023 when it comes, which implies that if it doesn't work out, we're, we're, we're not going with a two-year plan for Daniel Jones. We really want to give him every possible chance we've screwed him up every way we can we're giving him one year you got one year it doesn't it doesn't harmonize that's why i think they almost have to pick up the fifth year option otherwise it sounds like everything they've said the past week is bullcrap thank you that's what it feels like i think they have to pick up the option i think it's gonna be impossible impossible to convince anyone that they meant what they said now if they don't pick up the option. Because if they don't pick up the option, the message is you got one year. 
Well, 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 we always had the franchise tag, the transition tag. That was kind of the Bears' plan with Mitch Trubisky that they never fully articulated. They kind of hoped the media would figure it out for them and and wave the flag for them. I'd like to think that these teams will begin to realize there's only one entity that you can rely upon to put out the message the way you want it to be communicated, and that is you. Don't rely upon reporters to figure it out. Now, maybe some will do it as a way to trade favors so they get, you know, a five-minute heads up of your next transaction. That happens. It's still better for it to come from you. The same people who are sending the message now should be sending the message when the time comes to either pick up or not pick up the Daniel Jones option. My prediction, based on everything we've heard from the Giants the past seven days, I think they're going to pick it up. All right. Josh McDaniels picking up his career as a head coach after an extended break he's been out for so long most people forget he was ever even an NFL head coach he was with the Broncos from 2009 into 2010 long enough to draft Tim Tebow in the first round not long enough to ever actually use Tim Tebow but he did put together the playbook that eventually was activated in the 2011 season when Tebow mania struck and lingered until Bill Belichick killed it twice. Here's Josh McDaniels, who almost left the Patriots four years ago for the Colts, explaining yesterday at his introductory press conference, business suit mandatory, why the time was now to leave the Patriots. I I feel blessed uh, to the the people that have impacted me along the way, Uh, starting with my mom and dad, uh, my family, uh, have played such an important role in me being here today. Um, I've been patient. I've been selective, um, maybe to a fault sometimes. Uh, People wanted me to do things uh, a little earlier than maybe I did them. Um, But it was going to take a special place uh, for me to to really leave where I was. And I found that here uh, in Las Vegas. Oh, Indianapolis not happy with Josh McDaniels today. By implication, Indianapolis not special. Because, look, he had taken that job. He had verbally accepted the job. Matt Eberflus, who coincidentally we'll hear from in a little bit, had accepted the position as defensive coordinator under the assumption that McDaniels, once Super Bowl 52 ended, would accept the job officially by putting his Josh McDaniels at the bottom of a contract. Ultimately, as we know, didn't happen. Four years later, he jumps on board the Raiders. I have one other little minor critique as well. Because, again, this is the first impression he's making. And, and I think the suit works for him. Can we pull up a full screen of the Josh McDaniels business suit look? I got a problem with the pin. Just a minor detail. The pin is awesome. The Raiders pin that he was wearing is awesome. But if you're going to go big pin you got to move it in a little farther on the lapel. we got to have a little pin training here. It ain't that hard. It's got to be symmetrical. It's got to it's got to be in the right spot. That pin is all the way out at the edge of the lapel. Move that pin in a little bit. Straighten it up. If you're going to go Raiders logo, you got to make it look good. It can't look like it was just thrown on there by a five-year-old. Let's get the pin in the right spot. Let's pay attention to some of these details. And I know that sounds extremely superficial, but that's what's being blasted out to the world as the first impression of Josh McDaniels as the head coach of the Raiders. A minor point. But in a profession where success flows from obsessive attention to detail, I'd like to think they get the pin in a better spot right out of the gate. Just right out of the gates. Just just, just move the pin a little bit. Just a little bit. Doesn't take much for someone to say, that pin needs it. Just move the pin in 
a little bit. It'll look better. Twist it a little bit. It'll look better. Just, it'll look better. Send a better message. All right, what other messages did Josh McDaniels have to send? How about this? Oh, because it didn't go well for him in Denver. And you've heard Sims say a couple of times this past week that one of the reasons it didn't go well in Denver for McDaniels was because they were having money issues in Denver. Sims assessment, Sims recollection, don't sue me. I don't even know who would sue me at this point because they don't have an owner. They'll officially be putting the for sale sign in the front yard as soon as this week. But Sims, from his time there, talking about his signing bonus, they couldn't pay him at the time that he was signed. They had to defer it until money was coming in during the season. A lot of teams do that. Off season, it a lot of money laying around. In season, you got the TV money flowing from the league office on a regular basis. You got your ticket money coming in. That's when Sims was able to get his signing bonus. So Sims believes that the lack of appropriate football finances back in 2009, 2010, kept Josh McDaniels from being as successful as he wanted to be. Let's hear from McDaniels as to why he believes he failed first time around as coach of the Denver Broncos. When I went to Denver, um, you know, I, I, I knew a little bit of football. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really know people uh, and how important that aspect um, of, of this process and maintaining the culture and building the team uh, was and um, and I and I failed and I didn't you know I didn't succeed at it and so um, looking at that experience has been one of the best uh, things uh, in my life in terms of my overall growth as a as a person as a coach what do I need to do different how do I need to handle my role if I have another opportunity uh, and do better at it and. I feel like that's really a, an area that I've tried to grow in with our staff um, in New England. Um, you know, our offensive staff working together, collaborating, supporting one another, uh, impacting them, serving them, helping them grow as coaches, as players, uh, with our with our with our guys. Uh, you know, that we're coaching. So um, that's the biggest. I would say that's the biggest area for me, uh, and I know how important it is as a head coach to be able to do that. I appreciate the candor. But I just wonder how and why it's going to be any different this time. Because where did he ultimately end up after things didn't work out in Denver? He was the offensive coordinator for the Rams in 2011. Then after the Rams ended up being eliminated from postseason contention, didn't make it to the playoffs that year, they released him. Remember that? They released him, and he went back to the Patriots and served as a consultant for the balance of the postseason. Then he kind of worked his way back in. He's been there ever since. And that sparked, in many respects, this second act that we saw. We had the Patriots pre-2010, post-2010, two different dynasties that rose up in the NFL. We just feel like McDaniels has been there forever. And again, a lot of people don't even remember that he was a head coach of the Broncos, but... If you go back to the Patriot Way incubator for a decade, I don't know why you're confident you're suddenly going to become a people person. Why do you think that? What about the atmosphere? What about the environment? And I'm not saying it's not successful. It's highly successful. But there isn't a whole lot of warm and fuzzies in New England. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of blunt talk. There's a lot of eye-rolling that happens by Bill Belichick. There's a lot of impatience with with incompetence. And it's successful. My point is this. 
I don't know why Josh McDaniels thinks he's any different now than he was 10 years ago. He may understand the game a lot better than he did. He may be able to have more success right away in Las Vegas than he had in Denver. And I think the key for anyone who tries to take the Patriot way to another city, and we've seen it fail. We saw it fail most recently in Detroit. When Bob Quinn got there, Bob Quinn was determined to eventually hire Matt Patricia. The problem is Jim Caldwell was doing pretty well as the head coach. So he had to wait until Jim Caldwell had a sufficiently not good season to fire Caldwell and hire the guy he wanted to hire right out of the gates. I believe Bob Quinn wanted to make the swap right away. First year. Didn't. And that kind of screwed things up. But ultimately, ultimately, when you go Patriot way, at a place where Patriot way has not been the way, it pisses people off. Sorry, London. But it does. There are people who are in the building all across the organization who sense the difference when there's a new sheriff in town and he's not afraid to start throwing people in the hooskow and he's not afraid to treat people differently in a way that is a little more harsh, that has a higher level of accountability, more demanding. It, it does make people less comfortable. They start worrying about their jobs. Am I going to be fired? It builds resentment. And if you don't win, if you don't win, what happens is you end up having enemies who become more and more active. It's what happened to Urban Meyer. Now, Urban Meyer is a different situation altogether. We wrote something last week about some comments he had to Dan Dockich of, of just the fundamental differences between the college game and the pro game, which made me wonder, did you do anything to try to envision or understand or learn what the differences were? Like you just kind of fall into it and realize, hey, this is different than college. I mean, no, no, no crap. Almost said the other word. I predict I will say the other word at some point between now and 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, it's a reason to hang around. You never know when I'm going to let a profanity fly. But, but if Meyer had been successful, he'd still be there. Warts and all. All the stuff that, that people didn't like about him. If he'd gone to the playoffs, you think he would have been fired? Hell no. So there were plenty of coaches out there that act like jerks, that aren't people persons. People persons, that sounds weird too. But, you know, they win. Bill Belichick wins so he can act the way that he does. You win. If you don't win, Patriot way doesn't last. Now, we'll see whether or not it, it works in Las Vegas because John Gruden wasn't exactly a people person. So maybe Josh McDaniels in comparison is going to be a breath of fresh air, right? Because Gruden was kind of in your face and, 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 and tell you what you're doing wrong and tell you what you need to do. We've seen the clips time and again of him jawing at Chris Sims. And maybe Gruden mellowed. He had to mellow. That was one of the talking points as Gruden got the job four years ago. Derek Carr was going to crumble if John Gruden treated him the way he treated other quarterbacks like a Chris Sims. So Gruden, Gruden moderated his approach. We'll see. We'll see. But you got to win. If you win, you can get away with a lot of stuff. I just don't know how much more of a people person – Josh McDaniels is going to be after spending so many years back with the ultimate non-people person in Bill Belichick. Hall of Fame coach, best NFL coach ever. I'll make that argument. One of the best coaches we've ever seen. I'll make that argument too, but not a people person. So where are you learning those skills? You're taking a seminar at night. Is there something at the Holiday Inn you went to on, on the free time you don't have because your coach expects you to work all the time? Where do you pick up your people person skills? You got a Dale Carnegie book you're carrying around somewhere? I don't know. We'll find out. 
We'll find out. We'll see how it works for Josh McDaniels. And I'm fascinated by the quarterback question. Who's it going to be? Is it Derek Carr entering the last year of his contract? I think if Josh McDaniels is on board with Derek Carr, you may need to handle that contract. You may need some certainty. You don't want him in a lame duck year if he's your guy. Do you want to give him a year to prove he's your guy? Is that how it's going to go? Then you're on the risk of having to use the franchise tag if everything works. Or is there some other way? Is Aaron Rodgers? I don't know why Aaron Rodgers would want to go to the AFC West, whether it's Denver or the Raiders, with what they have going on there. But is it Aaron Rodgers? Is it Tom Brady? Does Tom Brady's one-year FUESPN tour, if he does indeed return out of spite, the ultimate all-in spite move, I'm kind of rooting for that now. I kind of find myself every time I see a Tom Brady development thinking, kind of hope he comes back. I hope he comes back just just despite ESPN for letting the cat out of bag prematurely when he was planning to otherwise retire. But is there a way? Look, if Tom Brady wants to leave the Buccaneers, you think they're going to tell him, no, we have you under contract. You have to play for us or play for no one. Do you really think they're going to tell that to the guy who pulled the franchise out of kind of mediocrity. Mediocrity may be a kind description of where the Buccaneers had been. Do you think they're going to do that if he says, you know, I've really been thinking about it, reflecting. The only way that I can get myself in the right mindset to do it again is, you know, I want to go, I want to try it somewhere. I want to try to go championship with three different teams i don't know that he's gonna do that and i'd be surprised if he does because his family's happy in tampa but but still you can't not at least wonder about what may happen with josh mcdaniels in las vegas and quarterback situation not yet fully decided maybe 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 maybe. crazier things have happened this month well not this month because it's a new month Happy February, last month. Crazier thing, many crazier things happened last month. We can only hope this month is as crazy as last month was. The Bears have their new head coach in Matt Eberflus. I mentioned him earlier. He's the guy who became the defensive coordinator of the Colts, waiting for Josh McDaniels to arrive as the head coach, and he never did. Frank Reich got the job instead. It worked out for Eberflus. His ship comes in four years later. Here he is from yesterday talking about... The franchise quarterback, hopefully, for the Bears, that he inherits right out of the gates in that second-year first-round pick, Justin Fields. Justin Fields, do you look at him as a, a franchise quarterback, a guy that can be great and lead and win because of? Yeah, so right now we're looking at everybody uh, through the same lens, meaning that we're going to go back and we're going to watch those guys with a fresh eye and we're going to see where they are. Okay, in terms of what they need to develop on. So I'm a big process guy, so I want to be able to help the player. So when you look at the player-coach relationship, it's, it's got to be like this. Okay, so one of the ways we help all players, you know, from player A to player Z, we're, we're going to develop a plan for those guys, Mark, okay, from, to get better. And it's usually only three or four things. You sit down with them, hey, show them the tape. This is what you're going to get better at. They work on it on their own, okay, in the offseason. Then when they get come back to here, with us in April, then we start working on the detailed plan. But we don't just say, okay, hey, that's good. We have a detailed plan in terms of how to work towards that all the way through. And then when you, when you improve that skill, you move to the next one. You know, you move to the next one. So it's, it's, a, it's a plan in place 
and I'm looking forward to doing it with all the players. What was the question again? I don't know whether he did that on purpose or that's just a sign of things to come. The question was very simple. Now, it was a simple question, and I'm surprised the question was asked. Do you view Justin Fields as a franchise quarterback? Well, we, I, it almost feels like one of those situations where anything other than yes is no. And that's always one of the concerns, that you're going to hire somebody to pair with your young quarterback in whom multiple first-round picks were invested and now this guy may not be completely on board. And the way he answered the question, and, and I think part of it was he was anxious to talk a little bit and show people how he can teach and what his process is. So he seized upon that question as an opportunity to have a little bit of a speech there, deliver a little monologue about what his process is and how he's going to work with all these guys and didn't want to single anyone out. That was kind of the attitude. But at the same time, Justin Fields is watching this. <laughs> closely i assume and when he hears that question he'd kind of like to hear yes wouldn't he don't you want to hear yes now maybe he'll 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 hear it privately but during that press conference i would like to hear yeah i mean look we got a huge investment in justin fields he's our present he's our future my job is to get the absolute most out of him and i'm going to hire an offensive coordinator who i can trust to groom and teach and let justin fields grow that's see sometimes and this is where the process is a lot simpler to me. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a little messed up in the head. But what you want to give at these introductory press conferences are sound bites around which the fan base can rally and that the national media can use to play and people are going to watch it and the reaction is going to be, I like that guy. I like what he had to say. I kind of like that. I want to hear some more from him. That Eberflus thing, man, a pretty simple question. The ball's on the tee. I mean, that's as, that's as soft of a softball as you're going to get from a reporter at your introductory press conference. And I don't dis- disagree with anything that he said. You, you're going to have the super fans going crazy down at Ditkins today, choking on ribs and wings based on that answer. You want you want a little you want a little you want a little something. You want you want a little I, I remember four years ago. The Bears and the Raiders, just like yesterday, had their introductory press conferences the same day. And Matt Nagy's was not impressive. John Gruden's was awesome. And you saw and heard in John Gruden's introductory press conference in his return to the Raiders, a guy who had been in broadcasting. For almost a decade, he knew what the messages needed to be to the fan base. He knew what the sound bites needed to be for us when we played them the next day. Matt Nagy was not impressive. Now, he was coach of the year in 2018 and went to the playoffs, and John Gruden never did in his second stint with the Raiders, but that doesn't matter. It's a different environment, it's a different goal, it's a PR driven atmosphere for these press conferences, and I don't see a lot of PR advice either being given or being followed. Also, interesting choice by Eberflus to go button open on the suit. Two approaches. You know, usually what you do, you unbutton when you sit down, you button when you stand up. That's the way that we always did it in court. Stand up, button your coat. Sit down, unbutton it. Now, on TV, do a lot of button 
of the coat when you're sitting down. That's usually what we do because it all flops around and stuff. But anyway, again, it's a very visual medium. And this is your moment. This is your time. This is your chance. And it's not just how you dress, how you conduct yourself. It's what you say and how you say it and what sound bites you give us. And, you know, there was a clunky sound bite yesterday from Ryan Poles, the new GM, about we're going to reclaim the North. And he's getting clowned for that a little bit. You got to pick your words carefully. You got to deliver them in a way that is going to be engaging. And you ultimately want the fit. Look, everything that a team does at this stage of the offseason should be crafted with one thing in mind, creating maximum confidence from your customers. At the end of the day, you're selling. You're selling a product. You want people to buy tickets to show up for your games, and then you want them to actually show up for your games. Because if they buy the tickets and they don't go, then they don't spend all the money on all the other crap that they spend it on when they go to the games. You know the feeling when you go to a sporting event or a concert. You don't think about your monthly budget. You kind of have your separate money that you know you're going you're gonna to waste on overpriced hot dogs and overpriced beer and overpriced popcorn. And you got to buy a program and you got to take Jimmy to the, to the place with the, you know, the jersey or the pennant or the foam finger or whatever. You just kind of accept the fact that you're going to go there and you're going to spend a lot of money. They want people to show up and spend that money. You got to be fully engaged. You got to be motivated. Then, I don't know. I, I really don't think it's all that difficult, although, based upon the quality of some of these press conferences we see, maybe it is. Matt Eberflus, by the way, will not be calling the defensive plays for the Chicago Bears, which is a good sign because, look, what did Bill Belichick do best? When he became a head coach, he morphed into a guy who wasn't just dance with the one that brung me. I'm going to run the defense. Because here's what, here's what happens. Being a great defensive coordinator got me this far, and I'm going to keep doing it. That's what I know. I think for a lot of coaches, as they realize how different the job is of head coach in so many ways, they cling to the thing that got them there. That's their blanket. That's their binky. That's their thing that makes them feel like they know what they're doing. I'm going to keep doing the thing that got me this job. I'm not going to relinquish the thing that got me this job because this job's a lot different than the one I used to have. So the more familiar I can make this job to my last job, I'm going to I'm going to do that. I know nobody knows it better than me. I know no, the smart move, especially for a defensive guy, you become a coach of the whole team. You become the one who develops the relationship with Justin Fields. So if the team is successful and the offensive coordinator gets a head coaching job of his own, you're the one who's still there. You're the Bill Belichick with Tom Brady. You know, we, I mean, yeah, you hear sometimes Josh McDaniels and Brady, but it's always Belichick and Brady, even though Belichick was not an offensive coach. That's the key to long-term success. So maybe if you're a Bears fan and you're looking for something about which to feel positive, the idea that Matt Eberflus is not going to call the defensive plays could be a sign that, number one, he's confident in his ability to make the adjustment from coordinator to coach comfortable in his own skin, and willing and able to become a coach of the whole team, not just a glorified defensive coordinator like Mike Zimmer was in Minnesota. One of the reasons that Zimmer ultimately failed, and I wouldn't call his full tenure a failure, but at the end of the day when you're fired, it's getting a report card with an F on it, constantly changing offensive coordinators. And he basically threw the keys to the offense 
to his coordinator, and he focused on his defense. You can't, you can't do that and expect to be a long-term, successful, Super Bowl-contending coach. you got to become coach of the whole team. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, Tom Brady, Let's Go Podcast. Hard-hitting questions that we expected to hear from Jim Gray were posed to Tom Brady. But we did get some information, some insight, unless we didn't. Back with more PFT Lock right after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. I think my motivation for, for playing football is to is to win and be successful. And maybe there's little parts of motivation that come from different places or what people may say or think. But mo- I'm mostly motivated from uh, inside and you know, wanting to be the best for my teammates and my coaches and my organization. So for me, it was just, I was trying to enjoy a nice weekend. It didn't quite turn in that way because my phone got really busy, but you know, that's just part of being in the situation I'm in. But I'm going to take it, you know, day by day. It really is. I'll take it by the moments and, and figure out when, you know, I feel really confident to allow people to, you know, who I, I understand my decision affects a lot of people's lives. So when that decision comes, it'll come. When the decision comes, it'll come. That's Tom Brady from the Let's Go podcast on SiriusXM with Jim Gray from last night. There were times during the conversation where I kind of got the impression, yeah, he, he, he's, he's, he's retiring. It, it, it's just a matter of him picking the right time to say so. And I think that's the core of the issue that popped up on Saturday. It makes it extremely fascinating. Because, again, and I'm not trying to call out Shefty here. I'm just trying to explain to everybody how the sausage gets made. Shefty has become the guy that lets us know five minutes before the official announcement that the thing that's going to officially be announced is going to be announced. That's that's it. So when something like Tom Brady is retiring hits, we are expecting within five minutes, maybe 10, maybe 15, on the high side 20, an official announcement from Tom Brady that he's retiring. That's how it works. The one time that we hear something from Shefty that the subject of his report didn't want us to know is a fairly important story that is being talked about everywhere. They wrote some jokes into SNL about it the night that it happened. They're talking about it on the news shows. They're talking about it on the late night shows. And ESPN's getting dragged for it. And again, I fully endorse the possibility of Tom Brady doing a spite tour. <laughs> I, but but I, 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 just, I think that, that it's just a matter of him doing it on his own terms. And late this week makes sense. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There's speculation about the Man in the Arena final episode. Last week, it was supposed to drop. It was delayed. Why was it delayed? And there's a rumor rattling around out there. We talked about this yesterday. This is nothing new that Brady announces his retirement in the last episode of Man in the Arena coming this week. 
Is that how he does it? Look, however Brady does it, it's going to be his way on social media, something significant. I don't know if there's going to be a press conference. Maybe the press conference comes later, but this is the week to do it. This is the week where there isn't a whole lot going on. And really, as somebody who owns and operates a media company, I'd kind of like it to hit maybe tomorrow, maybe even this afternoon. Give us a few days to do the whole Tom Brady retrospective. So I I do believe it's going to happen. The only way it wouldn't is if he's made the decision and changes his mind. And it wouldn't be the first time that's happened. There have been examples over the years in in all walks of life, sports and non-sports, where something gets out and the mere fact that it got out gets the person who was going to do the thing that was prematurely reported on to do something else. That would not be unprecedented. I can't think of any good examples right now, but you have to trust me on that. It would not be unprecedented. If a good example comes to me, I'll let you know. But but I, it's a real dynamic. I would be stunned, though, if he is so, so petty, although he's shown us from time to time that he is, that he would commit himself to playing an entire football season beyond when he otherwise was going to retire. And good luck getting your family on board with that. We saw the images of Giselle, his wife, in the luxury suite when they're getting their butts kicked. She looked kind of happy. As, as it was interpreted here locally, she, she kind of knew that it's the last time she's going to have to worry about her middle-aged husband getting killed by some 21-year-old kid out on a football field. And I exaggerate when I say that, but he could still get injured. And you're going to worry about him. He's, he said that. He said that last week on Let's Go. His wife worries about him. Yeah, he's 44. The guys chasing him are 22 and twice his size. At a certain point, they're going to catch you. At a certain point, as you keep playing deeper and deeper into your natural life cycle, those guys who are always going to be 22, you you keep getting older and they stay the same. Wasn't that the Matthew McConaughey line from Dazed and Confused? He keeps getting older. There's 22-year-old guys every year chasing him. At some point, at some point, they're going to catch you. And they're going to hit you. And they're going to injure you eventually. So uh, I fully expect that he's done. And ESPN wouldn't have doubled down. And Shefty last night tweeted one of Brady's quotes about the rush to be first. It was kind of a a weird little moment of self-awareness. Or the battery was in upside down. I'm not quite sure. But... But regardless, regardless, I'm dancing on that line, baby. Regardless, I think they're confident he's done. I think they know something. And I wouldn't be surprised. Bear with me. I got no one to save me. Sims, where are you? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. My vocal cords are acting up on me because they don't want me to say it. I would not be surprised if he's already recorded his video farewell and somebody saw it, if not showed it, to the folks at ESPN. And that's why they're so confident. The moment has passed. I'm feeling good. Thank you for the B-roll. It would have been nice to have it a couple of seconds earlier when I was choking. I'm fine. This is fine. That will be fine. Uh, All right. 
Another quarterback in the news, a quarterback we'd forgotten about, but a quarterback who's going to dominate a lot of the discussion this offseason once the dust settles and we fully focus on the business side of the NFL calendar, and that's Lamar Jackson, the Ravens quarterback, 2019 MVP. This past year, missed some games due to illness, was banged up, missed some games down the stretch. Here's John Harbaugh, coach of the Ravens from yesterday, talking about the injury that Lamar Jackson sustained that caused him to miss multiple games in the all-important stretch run of the season. There was not a setback. It was a bone bruise. So I think uh, early on, right away, you just you hope for the best for the bone bruise. Those things are really unpredictable. And there was a thought, and even Lamar. I mean, I, Lamar felt like he was going to be back. You know, first week he thought he had a chance. Second week he assured me. You know, he said, I'll be back. I'll be back. You know, and he worked really hard at getting back. But... Uh, it just didn't really heal. And it was in a spot where I come to understand from the medical people that there's not a lot of great deal of blood flow down there in the ankle, low ankle, foot area where the bruise was. And it just didn't heal very quickly, and it was painful. And you could see it. I mean, he stayed in the boot longer than we thought. He was still limping even at the end of the season. You know, and, and even in his boot, I saw him in his boot toward the end. So uh, I talked to him Saturday. Uh, he said it felt great. He said it was really getting better. And he felt really confident that he was going to be able to get started. He said he's starting back to work the uh, the day after the Super Bowl. And uh, that's his that's his time frame to get going uh, after he's and be healed up by then. That's great. Good news. You know, he had that injury. Remember week 14, he took the low hit, legal because he was out of the pocket, hit his ankle, injured his ankle. They acted like he wasn't going to miss much time. Then we saw that day when they were practicing on sawdust. Remember that? And I know I know, Ravens fans, it's not sawdust. There's some Ravens fans that get really pissy, pardon me, when I, I joke that it looked like they were practicing on sawdust. But it did. And remember he was limping so badly. The sawdust was a great distraction from the fact that he shouldn't have been out there on that day of practice, limping around. And we never saw him again for the rest of the season. Weeks 15, 16, 17, 18. No Lamar Jackson. It was Tyler Huntley. And we just assume Lamar Jackson is going to be the quarterback for the Ravens the rest of the decade. Lamar Jackson represents himself. And if you pay any attention to this program, first of all, thank you. Second of all, what's wrong with you? Third of all, you know that my position is that every player should have a good agent. I don't advocate having a bad agent. I advocate having a good agent. And Lamar Jackson would have been well-served in 2021 by having a good agent because if he had a good agent, he would have long-term financial security. He'd be bound to the Ravens, and the Ravens, at least for the next two or three years, would be bound to him. For whatever reason, and I've heard different theories as to why a contract hasn't been done. Remember the the Sunday splash report from week one when the Ravens were getting ready to take on the Raiders, a game that the Raiders would go on to win in overtime. They won that game, right? Yeah, they won that game in overtime. It was a good game. Great way to start the season. Shefty reported that Lamar Jackson doesn't have his contract because he's so immersed in football. He's all in in football. He has no time for contract. He's all about football. And, and I'm not a big fan of this gratuitous myth-making that happens in sports media. I try to build people up, make them seem like even more significant, and bigger, and, and and righteous than they are. You know, they're, they're just men. They're men. And, and I try to be sensitive to that. 
and I also try to appreciate the exploits of men. But this idea that, oh, he's so focused on football, he has no time. Well, okay, that's all the more reason to have an agent. If I'm too busy to cut my grass, I don't, I don't let my grass grow until it's a forest. I hire somebody to cut it. If I'm too busy to, to paint the house, not that I would have the skills to do it or survive the experience, but anything that, that is on your radar screen that is unrelated to the thing that you spend so much of your time focused on, your professional exploit, whatever it is, if you don't have time to take care of other crap, there are industries out there to do it for you. That's what I learned from my dad. Not that we had the discretionary income to pay for this to be done and that to be done. A lot of things that needed to be done didn't get done. I mean, we were as lower middle class as you could be. Um, but my dad's attitude was, and maybe it was just a genius way to never have to do stuff because <laughs> he didn't want to. And, and he was focused on his work. But his attitude was there's guys out there who feed their families with having the ability to do this work. You know, guy comes to fix your washing machine. That's his job. Supports his family with it. That's why he's there. He's an expert at it. TV, anything like that. So these agents are out there making a living and developing expertise, negotiating these contracts. And the good agents do a good job of it. And I know that, you know, there's this, there's this mindset, and it's been fueled by a handful of players. Richard Sherman, Russell Okung are the two top voices in this regard. That all it's, it's one thing to say, like, like Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner's attitude is, I decided to do my own deal, and it works for me. You decide for yourself what works for you. You got Sherman and Okung kind of pushing the idea on all players. You need to do it yourselves. Well, wh- why? And, and the idea that you don't want to pay... You can have 100% of a smaller pie or you can have 97% of a big-ass pie. And when you recognize that less than 100% of a larger pie is more pie, I don't know how hard that is to process. 97% of a larger pie equals more pie for you. And yeah, somebody else gets a little bit of your pie, but you have more pie. And Lamar Jackson would be feasting on a gigantic pie right now if he had an agent last year. And I, I, I hear from time to time that the Ravens just can't get his attention. They just can't, they've tried every way they can. Because, you know, hey, the Ravens benefit from this. Because where are they now? Where are they now? You know where they are now? They're in a spot where, and I'm not saying they, they should do this, that they will do this. But they could, they could look at Tyler Huntley and they could say, hey, you know, we can't get Lamar Jackson's attention. We couldn't get it in 2021. No reason to think we're going to get it in 2022. It's the last year of his contract. We're going to have to decide about the potential use of a franchise tag because this is the option year for his contract. Drafted first round 2018, 19, 20, 21. This is the option year. Next year would be the franchise tag. We got Tyler Huntley. They, they got to keep him around. They got to keep him around. And I'm not saying that Tyler Huntley should replace Lamar Jackson. I'm not. Not even, I'm not even like, I'm not really saying it, but I'm saying it. I'm just saying that 
they don't know what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson. They don't know if they're ever going to be able to work out a contract with Lamar Jackson. They may have to tag him once, then decide do we tag him twice, and then by the time the third tag rolls around, you're looking at a 44% bump over the 20% bump in the second year. It becomes unwieldy financially, and that's when he becomes a free agent. I think you got to keep Tyler Huntley around as insurance against the possibility that you're just not going to get it worked out with Lamar Jackson and that what we saw happen to him physically last year is a sign of things to come. We saw that very physical style, fearless, courageous, 2019, 2020, and here comes 21, and he starts to break down a little bit. Is that going to continue? I think these are all legitimate concerns when you're talking about a quarterback who runs the ball aggressively, unless they are going to start transitioning him to pocket passer and not let him run the ball and not incorporate that run-based quarterback play into their offense the way they do. It's a very realistic consideration for the Ravens. So it's not in the middle of the radar screen yet. And it may not be if there's no negotiations. It may just sit there. It may sit there and simmer all offseason long. Nothing happening. Every time I check, anything happened with Lamar Jackson? Nothing's happening with Lamar Jackson. It may stay that way all year. They'd be wise to ensure that Tyler Huntley is around for years to come. Because he may ultimately be the guy, not because they think he's better, but because he's the guy that they have a contract with, who has an agent who negotiates the contracts and provides the Ravens the certainty and security that they need to know that their guy's going to be under contract. All right, let's uh, take a break. When we return, the Chiefs and the 49ers, if you haven't heard, are done. The two teams that met in Super Bowl 54. What do they need to be thinking about as they try to put the pieces back together for a Super Bowl run in 2022? We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Right now, things things don't seem uh, uh, great because of the loss, but I think the future here is is still bright. And so uh, we look forward to uh, moving on to you know, the 2022 season and, and getting ourselves uh, built back up after we take a, a step back here. Chiefs coach Andy Reid, optimistic about the future. Future is still bright. And yeah, when you have Patrick Mahomes, it is. They still need to fully understand exactly what happened to cause Mahomes' play to fall off a cliff from first half to second half. And, you know... We haven't seen him in a big spot like that do such a Jekyll and Hyde transformation from one half to the next. But we have seen games over the past four years where Patrick Mahomes will lead the offense to a lot of points in one quarter of a game. I think back to a game early 2019 against the Raiders. 28 points all scored in the second quarter of the game. The other three quarters, not a single point scored. But it has to be troubling. That twice against the Bengals, the Chiefs were held to only three points in the entire second half and on Sunday overtime as well of the contest. You got to figure out what it is that caused it, and you got to fix it. And you got to address it from a personnel standpoint. Where do we need to shore our team up? They still don't have a, a, a fully reliable number two receiver to Tyreek Hill. The offensive line was better than it was last year. The defense is going to have some some issues 
Tyron Matthews due to become a free agent. Chances are there's going to be somebody else out there that will pay him more than what the Chiefs are willing to pay him. And he has his Super Bowl ring, so it's not like he's going to hang around for that. You're going to have some issues in Kansas City, but you still have Patrick Mahomes. And I still think that they're better when they're they're written off and or not viewed as the front runner. When they slide into that front runner role, I don't know. I don't know what what it is that changes about them. They'd have been better off as the underdog, I think, on Sunday. They'd have been better off being the team that fell behind twenty-one to three and had to turn it on in the second half. It really was stunning to see what ultimately happened. And, you know, I think from Andy Reid's perspective, as the offseason unfolds, you do want to have a defense that that can that can step up when it needs to. Because that's the other side of it. We we aren't giving the Bengals defense enough credit for what it did to slow down the Chiefs because we get fascinated by Joe Burrow and we should. But the Kansas City defense it needs to step up in those moments. It needs to make a stop. It needs to, when the walls close in on Joe Burrow, it needs to get home. He had those two third down runs in the second half on Sunday. And that was really, those two plays combined, that's when I'm thinking, oh boy, here they are going to beat the Chiefs. It's going to happen. Not only will the Chiefs not cover, which is of concern to many, but the Chiefs also are going to lose this game. How are they going to lose this game? But you got to be able, you got to be able to get that guy down to the ground. Uh, any quarterback, but especially a quarterback like that who can wiggle away. This is the third down. Here comes Chris Jones. He's got him once, pulls him down, had a shot at him again, and could not get his feet. And he runs for the first down. That play and the one that came after it. When we see and watch this again, it's amazing what Joe Burrow does. The guy tore his ACL in November of 2020, and he had MCL damage too. And look at how he can move. Then the third down play after that same drive, he sees a crack and he's gone. He turns it on. I mean, you got those guys all around him. It's one thing for Jamar Chase to run through a phalanx of Chiefs like he did January 2nd, Week 17. It's another thing for Joe Burrow to do it. So those defensive players. They got to have that instinct to get home. They got to make the play when they can. And you also can't allow your team to slide into that that not so subtle mindset of Patrick's going to save us. Patrick's here. We can count on Patrick. Yeah, they may take the lead, but in Mahomes we trust. You still got to do your job. Everyone, coaching staff, defensive players, everyone. You can't let yourself think that at the end of the day it doesn't matter because Patrick is going gonna, is gonna to pull our bacon out of the fire because he didn't on Sunday. Total team effort, even when you have a great quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. So defense needs to get beefed up. They need to figure out what they're going to do with Tyron Matthew contractually. They still need to find that second receiver. Maybe they do it via the draft. Hey, they found Tyreek Hill in round five six years ago. They, they, they've got their work cut out of them. Brett Veach has done a good job of keeping a good team around Patrick Mahomes, but they got some work to do if they want to compete in the AFC, which is getting better and better all the time with all these quarterbacks who are declaring themselves as great. And now you got Joe Burrow along with Josh Allen, and maybe Aaron Rodgers is going to show up, and Justin Herbert is is on the rise. And... Uh, oh. 
2022 in the AFC is potentially going to be uh, fight after fight after fight to see who emerges as the best team. All right, on the NFC side, Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers coach, look, he's never going to be fully candid with anyone about what he thinks about Trey Lance, what he thinks about Jimmy Garoppolo, whether he thinks there's a bridge option out there. And I don't rule out two things. I don't rule out. Number one, I don't rule out Jimmy Garoppolo playing for the 49ers in 2022, because I thought last year after they made the trade, the moment they made the trade, I thought that's it for Jimmy. He's out. Then they draft Trey Lance. And I thought, well, at some point Lance is going to show them enough that they decide they can move on from Jimmy. And they had up until right before the start of the regular season, if they so chose to cut Jimmy Garoppolo and avoid owing him $25 million or trade him. And there was never any serious talk about that. Now, that may be because Lance never developed, that Lance didn't step up, that Lance made it clear to Shanahan that he wasn't ready to take on the job, and they thought they had a team that could be pretty good, and they did. Look, they had a Super Bowl team, and they almost got to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. For 2022, what Kyle Shanahan has to ask himself is, do I keep trying to win a Super Bowl while the window is still kind of open? Or do I take a step back with Trey Lance, see what he can do, and potentially undermine one more year of Super Bowl window? That's the challenge. And that's what makes me think there's an alternative lurking around out there. Is it Tom Brady? Is it Aaron Rodgers? I don't think the Packers would trade Aaron Rodgers to the 49ers. I don't think they would. But, but. Hear me out on this, because I've toyed around with this, and we got time. Sims is in here, so as you know, or if you're just tuning in, Sims got his booster yesterday, and it messed him up a little bit. That's why he's not here. He wasn't fired or anything for dropping an F-bomb, not that he has recently, but S-bomb, a couple S-bombs, no F-bomb that I'm aware of. Regardless, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers. And this was uh, Sean King and I, our, our old friend from the afternoon show days, who's now with VSIN, Bucks quarterback, obviously. He thinks that, well, he was focused more on, I think, 2021, that Aaron Rodgers should have done everything he could to get himself to the 49ers. And I think he may have also been saying that Rodgers should consider doing it this year. I don't think the Packers are going to want to trade him to the 49ers. But let's play this out. Aaron Rodgers has all the leverage here. And Aaron Rodgers, I believe, is going to go to the Packers at some point and say, I want to be traded. Now, even without a no-trade clause, you're not going to trade a guy to a team he doesn't want to be traded to at the quarterback position. Other positions, it's easier to do. If the Packers would trade Aaron Rodgers to a team he doesn't want to play for, he's just not going to play there. He's not going to show up. He's going to retire. You're not going to trade a guy to a team that he says, I don't want to play for. What if when he approaches the Packers, whenever he does between now and the start of the league year on March 16, what if he says, I've really thought about it, And I've decided that I want to play for the 49ers. I want to play for the team that I wanted to draft me first overall in 2005. That's where I want to go. If you can't beat them, join them. That's who I want to play for. What about the Broncos? Nope. I don't want to be in that division. Well, what about uh, the Buccaneers? Nope. I don't want to follow Tom Brady. I want to play for the 49ers. You got two choices. Trade me to the 49ers or I retire. Now, maybe if faced with that option, the Packers will say, You can go ahead and retire. Have fun entering Canton the same year that Tom Brady does, and you're second fiddle to him. And and also, 
boxing out Ben Roethlisberger for attention because he's going to be in that class too. Think about that class in five years. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe 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 Roethlisberger has to wait a year if it's Brady and Rogers together. But here's how it plays out because some Brett Favre vibe rolls into this. If Rogers retires, disappears, if he retires in March, what if he decides to make his power play in July, like Favre did in 2008? When you unretire, what happens is your salary immediately hits the books. In 2008, the Packers had more than $12 million in cap space available so they could carry Brett Favre on the roster while they figured out what to do with him, and eventually they traded him to the New York Jets. It was going to be the Jets or it was going to be the Buccaneers. They traded him to the Jets. They didn't want him in the division. They wanted him out of the conference, ideally, and they got what they wanted. If they aren't holding in their back pocket enough cap space to reabsorb Aaron Rodgers' salary for 2022, they're not going to have the luxury of picking the destination they prefer. And the choice will be at that point, trade him to the team he wants to be traded to, i.e. the 49ers, or release him and let him walk straight to the 49ers. The other alternative is to go on an emergency, let's create cap space, so we have some. But do you really want to deal? Do you want to deal with that? If you're the Packers. So I guess my point is this. The best move for the Packers would be to trade Rodgers wherever he wants to be traded if that's what he decides to do. And even if they don't want to trade him to the 49ers. Now, the other side of it, too, is what would the 49ers give up for? When you invest three first round picks and a third round pick in Trey Lance, it's not like you got a lot of stuff there that you can send to Green Bay. But if if I'm the 49ers, I explore the possibility of a non Jimmy Garoppolo bridge to Trey Lance, whether it's Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Could you give the 49ers Aaron Rodgers right now? Hard to imagine them not winning the Super Bowl. Brady, same thing. That could be the alternative to the, it's either Jimmy for one more year or it's Trey Lance getting thrown into the fire. A bridge option. And we know they're going to think about it because they uncovered every rock last year looking for an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo and ultimately settled on mortgaging the future for a guy that in the present they're not ready to use yet. If they decide. And you don't even have to make the decision. You just explore your options. Right? We'll, we'll make the decision when we know the option is viable, and maybe the option is they could get Rodgers, or maybe they could get Brady. Remember, Brady wanted to play for the 49ers two years ago. That was his first choice, not Tampa. Tampa was plan B. Plan A was San Francisco. You throw in the potential for a little ESPN spite, and maybe the 49ers next year will have either Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. With either guy, they will be much more viable from the standpoint of getting to a Super Bowl and winning it than they are with Garoppolo or than they would be with a first-year starter who, where was he? He played in Week 17 because Jimmy G was injured, and then we didn't see him again. We didn't even see a cameo appearance in the playoffs, I was kind of thinking maybe we'd see him at some point on Sunday, just as a little change of pace, just a little showcase. Here's, hey, look at this guy. Look at this guy. Look, look what he can do. So he became the forgotten man for the 49ers. That doesn't bode well 
for the notion that he's going to be ready to be the guy, the only guy, the week-in and week-out starter come 2022. All right, let's take a break. When we return, oh, no. It's time for an update on the Minnesota Vikings in their potential pursuit of Jim Harbaugh. And we may be joined by my good friend from KFAN, the voice of the Vikings. Early for him, 7.15 a.m. Cornfields time, as he would say. Paul Allen joining us next on this Tuesday edition of PFT Live. We'll be right back. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. 